DW Africa Link. It's time to bring you the latest headlines from Africa and beyond. Hello and welcome to the program with me, Eddie Micah Jr. And Eddie is here with me, Zaya Fröhlich. We are reaching you live on our Facebook page, DW Africa, and of course, through our partner stations around the world. That's right. Coming up on the program, today is World Diabetes Day. We look at the situation in South Africa, where diabetes is on the rise despite government measures. Diabetes the number two cause of death in South Africa, the number one cause of death in women. So you have diabetes killing, killing more people than HIV. So what can we actively do to prevent diabetes and who is affected? Now the things that we can change, what we call the lifestyle measures, involve things like poor dietary choice, which means that eating more a lot of the processed uh, refined foods combined with lack of physical activity tends to put us at a higher risk. Okay, that's all coming up in a bit, but also stay tuned because Liberia's presidential rerun is happening. So after a while, we'll get to know who the next president of Liberia Mm -hmm. will be. All that coming up after the world's news in brief. DW News. Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyingi. As fighting continues in the Gaza Strip, U.S. President Joe Biden is warning that the biggest Gazan hospital must be protected. He's calling on Israel to take, quote, less intrusive action at Al-Shifa. Israel says Hamas militants are using medical centers as command bases. Israeli tanks are said to be surrounding Al-Shifa, but the World Health Organization says doctors are still doing all they can to care for patients despite having no water or electricity. DW correspondent Rebecca Ritas in Jerusalem tells us more about the situation inside Gaza. The situation has been dire for some time now and it's certainly not getting any better. We're hearing from doctors inside that they're having to bury people that are dying in open grave. The smell of decomposing bodies is over throughout the entire hospital. There, we, we heard from the WHO that actually they're still saying it's a functioning hospital because of the amazing work that the medical staff who remain inside and refuse to leave and now almost cannot leave are the amazing work that they're doing. But the situation remains that the hospital is only barely functioning. They're running out of medical supplies. Very, The situation at Shifa, bad, getting worse, and with no end in sight. DW's Rebecca Ritter's reporting from Jerusalem. Liberians are voting in the second round of presidential elections. Former football star and the current president, George Weah, is running against former vice president, Joseph Abuakai. Weah led the first round of polling but failed to cross the 50% threshold needed to win office. Former British Prime Minister David Cameron has attended his first cabinet meeting since his surprise appointment as Foreign Secretary. It came during Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's cabinet reshuffle on Monday. It's been interpreted as a move towards the political centre ahead of next year's general election. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. 
A Rwandan doctor is going on trial in Paris on charges of genocide and crimes against humanity during the 1994 genocide in Rwanda. Sostine Moyemana is alleged to have assisted in facilitating mass murder. The gynecologist, who is now 68 years old, denies the charges against him. And floods caused by torrential rains have killed dozens of people in Somalia. Nearly half a million Somalians have been displaced and infrastructure severely damaged. The UN or United Nations says it's the worst flooding in decades and could trigger a humanitarian emergency. For more news and information, head on to our website dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jen Nyingi. You're listening to DW's Africa Link program with me, Zelia Fröhlich. And I am Eddie Micah Jr. Welcome to you on our Facebook page, DW Africa. We welcome your comments on the stories we're covering. Just to uh, mention a few of you tuned in, Alexander Theophilus Clark says, Greetings from Monrovia, Liberia, where, of course, uh, presidential elections are currently ongoing. D. Gobert and uh, well, a lot of people tuned in. Welcome to the program. And as mentioned, today is World Diabetes Day. For that, we want to look to South Africa, where cases of diabetes are increasing despite a string of government measures introduced to curb it. In 2018, the government introduced the Health Promotion Levy, also known as Sugar Tax. Sugar Tax. Sugar Tax. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, these levies uh, target fizzy drinks and other products where sugar has been added. Now, the aim is to make these products too expensive and discourage people from buying them, as well as using the money from these taxes to deal with lifestyle diseases caused by these same sugars. However, as Tuzo Kumalo reports from Johannesburg, experts say cases of diabetes and obesity are growing at alarming levels. Over 4 million people between the ages of 20 and 79 are now sick with diabetes in South Africa. Experts say an additional big number has also developed the disease but are not aware of it. Yoti Srekewal is an executive member of the Ophthalmological Society of South Africa. The incidence of diabetes is increasing, increasing with every day. More and more patients are being diagnosed A lot of patients remain undiagnosed. A lot of patients present to our eye clinics with advanced diabetic retinopathy when they come to us. And that is where we can intervene and start earlier screening, start uh, managing diabetes better for a patient. Diabetes occurs when the level of glucose in the blood is too high. This condition affects the body's ability to process it. This leads to a string of complications, including heart attacks, stroke, blindness, kidney problems, and other ailments. The number of diabetes cases went up from 4.5% in 2010 to 13% in 2019. This forced the government to introduce what is now known as sugar tax in 2018, targeting sugar-added products. However, experts say the numbers keep growing. Nzama Mbalati from the Healthy Living Alliance wants the sugar tax increased by 20% for a meaningful impact. 
there is enough data and studies that have been conducted um, in Soweto, um, here in Kauteng, also in the Western Cape, in Langa, um, which has shown that actually amongst the high consumers, particularly young people, um, there have been reduction in the sugar consumption. But the South African Cane Growers Association has warned against any increases, saying the introduction of the sugar levy is threatening the survival of the industry. Thomas Fanke is the chief executive officer of the association. Uh, we've done some independent um, work uh, with the Bureau for Food and Agricultural Policy, and they've come back to us and said if the sugar tax remains the same over the next 10 years, there will be a massive impact on jobs uh, to the likes of uh, 16,000 jobs, in addition to the ones we've lost already. And uh, if the sugar tax is double, um, we'll see job losses of uh, 22,000. Patrick Ngasa-Piotti, chairperson of the South African Diabetes Alliance, has written an open letter to the Minister of Health asking for an urgent implementation of a diabetes education program. Diabetes is the number two cause of death in South Africa, the number one cause of death in women. So you have diabetes killing, killing more people than HIV. That on its own is already a cause of concern. Beauty says the scariest thing is that 45% of those with diabetes are not aware of it, giving an indication that the situation could be even much more worse than currently thought. Tuso Kumalo reporting from Johannesburg on the topic of diabetes. Mm, now, uh, Zoli, as we just had, sugar is one way to get diabetes. And to be honest, there's also there's sugar, right, on the one <laughs> yeah, hand. There's sugar. <laughs> but there's also so many different kinds of foods, Zoli. Uh-huh. Yeah? yeah. So, for example, do you know that juices often contain just as much sugar as soft drinks? Yeah, it's, it's actually really kind of crazy right yeah. where it's hiding like you have so many foods and you don't really actually ever really think about it you yeah. think hey that sounds healthy like yeah. let's talk for example fruit yogurts or yeah. cereal bars like i i like to take a cereal bar yeah. to work you know like for the little hunger mm-hmm. small snack on the side and they actually contain a lot of sugar and when you like look at the packaging or the mm-hmm. wrapping and i highly recommend doing that because mm-hmm. there is so much hidden sugar in all of it yeah yeah. So um, you really don't want to provoke getting diabetes by taking too much of it. And I actually asked diabetes specialist Dr. Priska Mungla from Kenya for more tips on how to prevent diabetes and started by asking her how dangerous diabetes really is. So first and foremost, today is indeed World Diabetes Day and we are happy to celebrate it. And the theme for this year is Know Your Risk and Know Your Response. And with that comes your uh, the answer to your question. So diabetes is indeed dangerous. We are worried because the numbers are rising tremendously globally. And it's even postulated that uh, in the next sort of like five years, no, seven years, by 2030, the numbers will have tripled. And the currently almost half a billion people live with diabetes. And we accept, expect that to double and triple globally with the greatest burden we'll be seen mainly in, sub, in Africa and Saharan Africa. So it's indeed a dangerous disease. If we want to understand it, we first need to know what the causes of this disease are. So the risk factors, especially for type uh, 2 diabetes, 
tend to be lifestyle factors. So the non-modifiable risk factors are things that you can't change. And here are things like our age. So as we grow older, more than 45 years, our risk of diabetes is high. Genetics, which means uh, your, your family makeup and your gene makeup. And you can't change that. And especially if you have a strong family history of diabetes, then your risk of diabetes also sort of increases. But now the things that we can change, what we call the lifestyle measures, involve things like poor dietary choice, which means that eating more a lot of the processed uh, refined foods combined with lack of physical activity tends to put us at a higher risk. Then, of course, excessive alcohol use, cigarettes uh, or tobacco tobacco use as well. Then we also have being overweight and obesity. Then also some people uh, tend to use or abuse some of these medications a lot. They're called steroids. Some people would use them in terms of excess fitness to sort of improve their fitness levels. Also, certain places we see the medication being used a lot are people with asthma or people with chronic pain, but also we know that that raises their risk of diabetes. So at times that if you have uh, a, re- a combination of all these risk factors, then you find your chances of getting diabetes really goes high. What can we actively do to prevent getting diabetes? If indeed you're smoking, stop smoking. Alcohol use, we say moderate alcohol intake. If you can do without it, the better. Exercise is really important because it will help you be able to manage your weight and maintain good weight. And so good exercise means that you're able to give us at least five days a week of moderate to high intensity exercise and usually between 30 to 45 minutes per session is good enough. And then of course, when we look at food choices, you switch your refined carbohydrates for whole grains. And then the other thing we tend to request our patients to or advise our patients to avoid are now the processed foods. These are our sausages, our cakes, uh, you know, bacon, and also the fizzy drinks, soda, juice, I was talking to Dr. Priska Mungla from Kenya. And Eddie, I don't know about you, but five times sports a week. Do you think you manage? I I can manage, but that's definitely (laughs) not what I do. I I, I try uh, at least two or three times a week, just some, you know, light workouts uh, with my dumbbell at home, you know, do some little stretches. But apparently we should do much more than that, right? Yeah, we should do much more. And it actually doesn't even matter what kind of sports you do. It can Mm. be anything you like. It can be yoga, pilates, it can Mm. be basketball, swimming, Mm. really basically anything that gets you moving. And there are so many more things that you can do because, I mean, she was also talking about food. And I don't know, are you ever really checking what you're eating? Um, I I think I'm getting better at it Mm -hmm. because, you know, those days I used to wake up early and talking about diabetes, uh, you know, these I would say fake fruit juices in mm-hmm. bottles. There's so much sugar. I mean, yeah. even talk about Coke, Fanta, you know, not to mention brands on air and all, but just so people know that the, the, some of the drinks that we take every day, feeling like, oh, this refreshes us and all, it does nothing but add more volumes of sugar. So we should be careful what we eat. Yeah, absolutely. And there's actually a very easy way to make sure that you're eating the right things because mm. it's basically take your plate, cut it in half. Mm -hmm. One half should be healthy grains, like brown grains. It shouldn't be like white rice or ugali, not chapati, anything like something with brown, like brown rice, brown grain. Then another quarter of your plate should be fish or white meat, like chicken. And another quarter should be legume or like 
beans or peas, anything that also cr- contains some good protein. Yeah. And then you basically have a very good diet. Yeah, having that balanced diet definitely goes a long way. I can already see in our studio Klaus and uh, <laughs> and Celestine, uh, they're definitely getting a lot of uh, pointers from all of this. Because the whole point is, wherever you're listening from, you, you are your health, right? So whatever is happening in your body, you are responsible for that. So people should, should be more considerate and concerned about what enters their body mm-hmm. and it's really good that we bring this education out on well diabetes because a lot of people and it's not you know some people felt it was just old people going yeah. to diabetes young people very young people i have friends they are 25 years old and they mm. have diabetes like anyone can get it and that's why you should like be really careful how you treat yourself treat yeah. yourself and your family as well yeah okay let us know your thoughts on our facebook page dw africa if there's anything you want to add feel free to do so. That is right. And thanks for sticking with us on DW's Africa Link program. Once again, I'm Zoya Fröhlich. And Eddie Micah Jr. remains my name. Connect with us on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Like and follow the page and also comment on the stories we're covering. Coming up in the next five minutes, um, few minutes, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Africans are pushing for repara- reparations to addressing historic injustices. We hear more from a reparations conference that has opened in Accra, Ghana. Reparations are more than merely financial transactions. They are a moral and ethical obligation. They represent our acknowledgement of past wrongs and, more importantly, the resolve to make amends. Right. But before we dig into that, will Liberians elect a new president or will President George Weah earn a second term in office? That's a question that can only be answered after the runoff election happening today. Some experts are describing it as too close to call between Weah and former Vice President Wakai. That's right, Eddie. The results from the first round of balloting last month show the two neck and neck. Weah took 43.83%, while Wakai brought in 43.44% of the total. Mm -hmm. Both candidates have been actively seeking the endorsements of the other small opposition parties. Our correspondent Evelyn Pade is on the ground monitoring the election runoff for us. She told me about how the process has been going so far. Earlier this morning, the voters' turnout was very low at most of the centers I visited. The reason is most times during the second round election in Liberia, there is less voter appetite. It's always been like that. In terms of security presence, let's just say in Liberia, we call it the joint security. Mm-hmm. So you have a presence of police, the, F- the DEA, the Drugs Enforcement Agency, the Liberia Fire Service, just a little bit of dispute and then some area where People discover voters having stickers of a particular candidate with them, and they had to call police. There was tension, but it was later on brought under control. Is there any presence of national and international observers? There is a huge presence of international and national observers. I had the opportunity to even talk to the former vice president of Zambia. He was at one of the polling centers. The Air Corps is also present in Liberia. We also have a number of observers the Election Coordinating Commission, which is the, the ACC, and civil society, women organizations. Mm. So we understand this is expected to be a very close contest. How close are people expecting this to be? Everybody you talk to will tell you it's a tough process, tough election between the incumbent and the former vice president. But as to who will uprightly be declared winner, it's somewhat difficult to say. You've been speaking to some of the voters on the ground. What are they telling you? Voters are saying they're hoping whoever wins after to this polls can pay attention to addressing the issue of 
unemployment, the issue of job creation, the issue of fighting the illicit drug proliferation on uh, in Liberia, talking about there's a new drug called Kush that is ravaging the future of many young Liberians. They are asking whoever wins to pay attention, the issue of road connectivity and the issue of electricity and access to good health care system. Those are I spoke with today. One of the things voters keep talking about is peace. Even after the election, everyone is concerned about the process ending peacefully and there'll be no incidents of any major violence. And have the presidential candidates said anything about that? Are they clearly also vouching for peace? We had an interview with um, Mr. Boyka at his house because he did not talk to the media at the police center. So one thing he said was that they are optimistic that they will win. And I would just record, I'm here in this race to win. We are asking our supporters to remain calm. Anything from the yeah, camp of where? Prior to the diaspora, he also has called for peace and calm among the supporters as they wait for the election result. Okay. Talking about waiting for the results, it took electoral officials two weeks to announce the results of the first round. When can we expect results this time around? The elections law still provides two weeks, which is um, within 15 days. But According to one of the deputy executives at the Elections Commission, Mr. Cole, it could be sooner than that, given the fact that the number of candidates are less now and they're not dealing with senators and representatives. It could be less than 15 days, but the law provides that it should be, results should be out final by 15 days after polling close. Okay. Overall, with the process going on, are people overall satisfied with the electoral process so far? There's been a number of concerns and a number of issues happening. Uh, discovery of pre-marked ballot papers in favor of the ruling party. We follow them on social media, at some polling centers where um, people are saying, sharing their stories that the papers they received were already marked uh, in favor of the, the ruling party. But how many of those cases in actuality we don't have that, that number? But International Observer, hopefully they are going to come up with their fundings. But there's been those kind of reports coming out. Yeah, I was speaking to Evelyn Pade, our correspondent on the ground in Liberia. And we have some comments on this topic in our live stream on our Facebook website, DW Africa um, on Facebook. And there is Alexander Theopoulos Clark saying greetings from Monrovia, Liberia. Joseph Numa Boakai will win and Di Gobea is saying we pray for peaceful elections in Mama Liberia today and forever. Mm. So a couple more comments on our Facebook page DW Africa. Mobia Kwatabu says congrats dear Liberia this is democracy we need in Africa. Then there's one from Madison Jerome says this is one of the most peaceful and well organized elections in over two or more decades. Liberia has experienced greatness is how you wrap it up. Uh, looks like a lot of people are giving thumbs up. But mm-hmm. as we heard from the interview, there's been some, you know, pockets of disruptions here and there. Yeah. Uh, but overall, um, people say it's not it's not enough to mess with the, over, the whole process. But it's still going on elections. It's supposed to end uh, at 7 p.m. German time, 6 p.m. Liberia time. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, we will update you when we get anything 
on the ground. That is right. But for now, let's go to Ghana, where African leaders have joined Africans from the diaspora for a conference in the capital, Accra. The conference is pushing for reparations for injustices committed against Africans during the slave trade, segregation, colonialism. Uh, the list goes mm -hmm. on and on, Zelia. There's also apartheid, neocolonialism and neoliberalism. Our delegates are hoping to develop a unified and effective strategy towards securing their reparations, many in Africa, are seeking. Isaac Aleji is attending the conference and sent us this report. This gathering is the first after the African Union endorsed a recent push for payment of reparations to Africans and people of African descent for historic injustices. The Accra conference is to promote dialogue and establish an effective modality for such reparations. The African Union Commission's Deputy Chairperson Monique in Sanzabanganwa said the reparations are justified and go beyond financial compensations. Reparations are more than merely financial transactions. They are a moral and ethical obligation. They represent our acknowledgement of past wrongs and more importantly, the resolve to make amends. It's a tangible step toward justice, equality and healing for those who have suffered and continue to suffer the consequences of historical injustices. Ghana isn't just hosting the conference but has been a leading voice pushing the conversation around reparation payments. Ghana's president, Nana Kufuado, has become a champion for this push, something he said was long overdue. It is time for Africa, 20 million of whose sons and daughters have their freedoms curtailed and sold into slavery, also to receive reparations. No amount of money can restore the damage caused by the transatlantic slave trade and its consequences, which will span many centuries. But surely, this is a matter that the world must confront and can no longer ignore. The entire continent of Africa deserves a formal apology from the European nations involved in the slave trade. The conversation on reparation isn't new. The Global African Diaspora Summit held in South Africa in 2012 pushed for this as well. British MP Bell Ribeiro Adi said, Countries that committed the colonial injustices should not dictate how these reparations are paid. Whilst I am a daughter of Ghana, I am a British politician. The policy on reparations will be made in parliaments like mine, but I do not believe that Western countries should be dictating how and what is given in reparations. The injustice must stop now, and that means that reparations must be carried out on the terms of those who are most impacted. This week's conference will have the first ever African Committee of Experts on Reparations to develop a common African position on reparations and incorporate an African reparatory program of action. For activists like Jasmine McKenzie from Open Society who is attending the conference, having a unified front will be key towards achieving results. We are not just here to speak 
and share words of inspiration, but that we leave with collective action and we take serious what this movement requires to be sustained. And I'm even more excited about what we will do in the days to come. Delegates at the conference would explore the legal and moral grounds for the reparations and explore different models of reparatory justice. They would also, among others at this conference, develop an action plan for a sustainable reparatory justice process in Africa at the end of this conference. Isaac Kaleji with this report coming from Ghana's capital, Accra. We basically asked this question, Zelia, on our mm-hmm. Facebook page, DW Africa. What are your expectations from this conference? Victor Agingbari says, these people are not serious. Wow. <laughs> what a way to introduce your comment. Mm-hmm. Kofi Nelson says, <laughs> our leaders will gather and try to coerce subtly for slavery reparations while they are equally guilty of modern day citizen struggles. Okay. Yeah, and Foba Ciprian is saying, DW Africa, if slave owners and traders were paid reparations when slavery was abolished, should there be any debate as to whether reparations should be paid to those who suffered slavery in all forms? Hope we can agree that colonialization and neocolonialization were or are just different forms or names of slavery. Yeah, I find I find that quite a quite a strong point because indeed yeah. that's what happened. You know, when it was almost like um, saying, "Okay, well, we're sorry we took your slavery business away. Uh, here's some money to compensate for all, all the money that you've lost." But then it's actually a debate talking about reparations for the people that actually went through that struggle. So yeah. that's basically what he's trying to allude to. Um, that's also coming from uh, Boy Izuogu, who says, organize a referendum to some regions that wish to be on their own. I'm not sure if you feel like this shouldn't be an Africa decision, but different countries should decide on that. Well, that is mm-hmm. well noted. Yeah, and Solomon Ate uh, Pemambo is saying, wonderful initiative. I wish it a whole success. Yeah. Well, we do too. <laughs> Kofi Nelson says, our, 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 our thief leaders uh, will gather and try to coerce. Well, I think this is a comment that I've already read. Apologies for that. Uh, well, Solomon Atta says, wonderful initiative. I wish it a whole success. I mean, uh, wrapping it up, there's, there's clearly a lot of people that are giving it a thumbs up. And, and it's it's been a growing call for reparations or basically for 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 former colonial powers to acknowledge and sometimes even officially apologize for for the mistakes of the past. And I don't think it's a debate that is going anywhere. We will keep following that debate and let you know on our programs. Yeah, that is absolutely right. And we, of course, want to hear from you. So keep your comments on our stories coming that we are covering. We want to hear from you and what you're thinking for today. I think this is everything we have. My name is Leia Fulich. And I am Eddie Micah Jr. Thanks a lot for sharing your time with us. DW Mid for Minds